Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Stay awake. Be alert. No one knows the day or the hour when the Master will return. Not even the angels know when the Son of Man will return. Jesus has such intense urgency in his voice as he speaks of his return to us this morning. As he warns us that you need to be ready for when he comes back. It's an urgency, in all honesty, that we don't pay that close of attention to because we convince ourselves we always have more time. We can worry about it tomorrow. We can take care of it next week. We like to think of all the things we'll do tomorrow. Like somebody who ignores their health too long until it is too late, the temptation to ignore our spiritual well-being, it's just as real. We have time. We can make adjustments later on. We'll worry about it later. We ignore that someone we know doesn't believe or that someone we love has fallen away. We've got time, we tell ourselves, before we call them to repentance, to tell them about the gospel, because we know that if we do so, it's going to upset the apple cart, and well, we don't want to do that. But Jesus is like your doctor at your annual physical, telling you the time to make a change is now. If you don't do it soon, the cascading effects are going to be so much worse. Jesus is like that doctor who knows the devastation that awaits around the corner if you wait too long. And so he says, tend to the spiritual issues now, for soon it will be too late. Too late for what? Of what is he concerned? And Jesus is concerned about what happens next. He's concerned about what happens when you run out of time, when you die, or he returns again for the final judgment, when he separates the believers from the non-believers for all eternity. Like the doctor who has seen this play out time and again and knows the cascading effects of poor health, Jesus can see the cascading effects that lie ahead for those who live in denial and unbelief. He knows the unbearable suffering that waits those who do not know him. And this breaks his heart. Remember, Jesus did not come into the world just to save a couple of people that he really liked. Jesus came into the world to save all of the world. God so loved the world that he sent his Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God desires all of the people in his creation to be saved. But he knows that there are some who will reject him. So while he desires us to be saved, he does not stop those who would choose to go to the place prepared for Satan and the fallen angels. If that's where you desire to be, He's not going to stand in your way. So what awaits those who do not believe? What awaits them is the fiery pits of hell. Now, hell is one of those places we don't like to think all that much about. When we do, we tend to think about it in very cartoonish ways, the way we might have seen it in television, with Satan all dressed in red with little horns and a pitchfork. 
Maybe we've seen it in plays. The reality, however, is this. In the same way that the glory, the beauty, the majesty of heaven far exceeds our own imagination or anything we could experience here on earth, the reality of the punishment, the torment, the suffering in hell far exceeds anything we could ever imagine or experience while living this life. That doesn't mean we don't know what is to come. The Bible gives us some pictures of this reality. So just what should one expect from hell? Well, first, we should expect that it is real. This might seem like an odd thing to have to get over first, but according to recent research, less than half of Americans now believe that hell is real, and less than 30% believe it's an actual place as described in the Bible. But God's Word is clear. It is real. Jesus tells us this, and he tells us it's a place that has been created for the punishment of Satan and the fallen angels, those that rebelled against God. And it's the place of those who reject him and his love to go for their eternal punishment. The second reality we must accept about hell is this. It's a place of actual punishment with actual forms of punishment that come in a variety of ways. Scripture gives us multiple examples of how the suffering of hell leads to punishment. And it even divides them into two categories for us. That one form of punishment is in hell is the things that are withheld from the people that are there. And the second form of punishment is the things that are given there. We don't normally think of withholding as a form of punishment, but it is, as Alex talked about in the children's message, withholding the ability to be in the presence of a family, withholding the ability to watch television or play outside. This is a type of punishment. The Bible tells us God withholds five things from those who are suffering in hell. First, he withholds himself that those who are in hell are separated from God and the love of Christ. The face of God, his favor, his grace, his benevolence, these are all withheld from hell so that those who are condemned are denied fellowship with their creator and sent into exile to be separated from him, receiving no benefit that he or his presence has to offer. Second and flowing from that, those in hell are separated from the holy angels and the multitude of the fellowship of the saints. This means that the only companionship found in hell is not what those who would experience in heaven have, the presence of the holy angels, the blessed company of the believers that encourage and support one another, but instead in hell the only companionship and fellowship is found with demons in the company of evil ones who are suffering in their midst. And these two groups suffering together offer no help, no companionship, no consolation, but instead only heighten the suffering of those who are there by allowing you to witness the torment of others and the wailing that lasts day and night. The third thing withheld is any part of paradise. Therefore, if we understand heaven to be a place of great joy and blessedness, filled with the glory of eternal life, hell is as far away from that as possible. There is no joy, no blessing, no glory to be found. 
just agony, wailing, suffering, and defeat. And with this is also withheld light, joy, rest, happiness. None of those are found there. In complete opposition to heaven, hell is deprived of any kind of light and is ruled by the prince of darkness. This is accompanied not only by physical darkness, but by spiritual darkness, the ignorance of God, the complete lack of any kind of good. Sin, the work of darkness, is all that will be seen. The stains of the sins of the unbelievers who have never repented and never received forgiveness for what they've done. Therefore, there is no compassion to be had for each other. Instead, only people consumed by their own suffering with the inability to care for another. The last thing to be withheld from those in hell is any type of praise or rejoicing. For those who believe in the life and the world to come, praise and rejoicing is directed toward God, and it surrounds the saints. But this is absent from hell, and instead in its place is just the crying and moaning of those who suffer. And if that's withheld, then what kind of punishment is given? Well, what's given is as bad or as worse than what is withheld, because the punishment and this is the punishment we normally think of when we consider hell. For the things that are given are the fires of hell that give off no light but burn continuously, giving off smoke that has the acrid aroma of sulfur to those who are in its midst. The torment is being eaten by worms that are never filled and never consume those that are eating, but simply spend eternity chewing away at the bodies of the unbeliever. There's blows and whippings and a cold so great your teeth don't chatter but gnash against each other. And the sounds of the howling, the crying, the weeping and wailing echo for eternity. What's given in hell is the punishment that is the accumulation of the sins of history, never forgiven because the unbeliever does not repent and does not rejoice in the gifts that God has come to give. When you hear all of this piled on top of itself, we begin to grasp the reality that hell is a terrifying place. No joy, no blessing. It's not just a resting place for those who don't believe. It somehow is somewhere over there where you're just kept away from God. But it is a place of punishment for the rejection of Christ and the unbelief in your Savior. This is why Jesus is so insistent when he speaks, so urgent in his words, when he talks about staying awake, being ready, waiting for his return, because he knows what awaits those who do not. It's also why he has yet to return. Sometimes we wonder, why doesn't Jesus just come back now and bring things to a conclusion? It's an act of mercy that God continues to wait. He waits with incredible patience so that as many people as possible are given the opportunity to repent, to hear his word proclaimed and be brought to a saving faith. Out of his goodness and compassion, his love for the world, he holds off the destruction that is yet to come so that all would have the opportunity to believe. What does that mean for us as a Christian? It means we shouldn't squander the time that remains. 
The thought of someone you know spending eternity in those conditions churns your stomach or makes you angry, then good. Use that as the reason to share the gospel with them. Use this time to share the love of Christ with them. If it leaves you saddened to know that there are people choosing to go to hell because they choose other gods and reject the one true God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, confront them with the idols that they have. Not just the false gods of a false religion, but the idols that they have put in the place of God, the place where they put their hope while they live in this world. Use the law to show their sin, but carry with you the gospel that shows their Savior. And be like the master's servants who are left tending the house when he goes on a journey. Stay awake, be on guard, tend to your task. Do not procrastinate and put off your spiritual matters for another day. But hear the word of God. Remain active in the living out of your faith. Gather here. Be encouraged by the saints, protected by the angels, hearing the word that God proclaims to you. You are his baptized children. Jesus knows you by name, and when he returns again, he will call you to stand by his side and experience the joy of paradise. The good news in this is found here. You already know who's going to judge on the last day. It's not an unknown God or a yet anointed prophet. The judge on the last day is the one you call your good shepherd. One who carries you when you're sick, who cares for you when you are ill, who gives you rest on green pastures and leads you beside still waters. The judge on the last day is the one who comes into the valley of the shadow of death and leads you out the other side. The sheep of God's flock, the ones he has called to be his own, for those who are his baptized children and confess Jesus as Lord, the reality of hell is nothing for you to fear because you have certainty in knowing that hell was not made for you. You've not chosen to go there. Instead, you are destined for heaven for eternal life in the new creation, life in the presence of God, rejoicing in his blessed glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.